This evening we're continuing a short series which is focused on the goal of cultivating Christian character. And by way of review, it'll help us to remember that we began this study with a focus on becoming believers who have biblically-based convictions. You see, without biblically-based convictions, all we have are personal opinions. I'll let that sink in for a second. Without biblically-based convictions, all we really have are personal opinions, which are then subject to change depending upon the situation. I mean, let's be honest, how often do our personal opinions change the minute we find ourselves in a situation uh, where we need to change those opinions? And so it's for this reason that those who embrace uh, these sorts of situational ethics, uh, they oftentimes fail to cultivate Christian character. Conversely, the believer who will embrace biblically-based convictions will begin to cultivate a character which is in line with both the word and the will of God. Well, then, after our study on biblically-based convictions, it was during the second study of this series when we spent our time considering how the believer who is cultivating Christian character according to biblical convictions will begin to develop a sympathetic concern for those who are suffering. And as a result, we become believers who will begin to demonstrate the compassionate love of the Lord as we care for the concerns of others with the Lord's merciful benevolence. Then in our third study, we spent our time focusing on the importance of courage, and it was during that study when we considered the connection between courage and character. Simply put, uh, the Christian who lacks courage will fail to cultivate Christian character. The Christian who lacks the courage to take a stand with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian who lacks the courage to make decisions that are based on biblical convictions, uh, this Christian who is lacking in this area of courage will ultimately fail to cultivate Christian character. And the reason why is due to the fact that the Christian who lacks courage will fail to to take a stand with our Savior Jesus. Therefore, uh, we must become courageous Christians in order to cultivate Christian character. Well, now here in our study tonight, we're going to spend our time focusing on the connection between uh, contentment and character. And there is a a strong connection between our contentment and the the character uh, that we're known by. And with this as the focus, let's open our Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, Here we find Paul, he's presenting his Hebrew audience with a contrast between contentment and covetousness. Now, as you make your way to the 13th chapter of Hebrews, it'll help you to know that covetousness, this is the love of worldly wealth, which leads us to live our lives in a pursuit of money. And in contrast to covetousness is the word content or contentment. Now, this, of course, speaks of the satisfaction that we experience whenever we feel like our needs are being met. And in light of these definitions, uh, we should take uh, a moment to ask, Am I content? Am I a content Christian? Am I content with the provisions that the Lord has provided? Or am I still struggling with covetousness? Well, with this question in mind, let's consider something that Paul wrote here in Hebrews chapter 13. If you would look with me there, uh, beginning at verse 5. It's there at verse 5 where Paul declares, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Now here in this verse we find Paul, he's presenting a clear contrast between our covetous cravings and the feelings of contentment that we experience as we realize that the Lord will always be with the believer and he will always provide us with everything that we need. And with that being the case, we ought to examine our own lives once again by asking, am I content? Am I a content Christian? Am I content with the provisions of the Lord? Or do my daily decisions actually reveal my dissatisfaction with the provisions of the Lord? And as a result, I am a covetous Christian. Sadly, the church is filled with Christians who are allowing covetousness to keep them from cultivating Christian character. In order to prove my point, I, I want to turn in our Bibles now to Luke chapter 3, where we find John the Baptist. He's encouraging the Israelites to be content. And as you make your way to the third chapter of Luke, I should take a moment to point out that those who fail to be content with the provisions of the Lord, they will fail to cultivate Christian character. And the reason why is because a lack of contentment will always result in covetousness. And covetousness will typically cause us to employ ungodly means to acquire the wealth that we desire. Now with all of this in mind, I want to consider uh, the point of view that John the Baptist had here in Luke chapter three. And I'll, I'll remind you that John the Baptist, he goes out to the desert, uh, lives there in the wilderness. He's wearing, you know, just uh, camel's hair. He's eating locusts and honey. And the Lord's just basically just providing him with daily provision. And, and he has a little more than that. And it's here where we find this man, John. He's challenging the children of Israel about all of their covetous sins. If you would look with me there at Luke chapter 3, when I begin reading at verse 7, uh, here John said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, he says, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now here in these verses, we find John, he's challenging the children of Israel about their covetous business practices and their covetous relationships. And, and he tells the people, hey, if you have more than what you need, give some of that away. And, and to the tax collectors who were collecting more than what was required, he, he tells them to, to stop ripping people off. And, and to the soldiers who were falsely accusing others with the goal of receiving bribes from the, those that, 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 that they accuse, you know, he says, don't intimidate them or, or falsely accuse them. These people were ripping one another off. And not only that, but listen, the priests were ripping people off through the temple currency exchange rates and shop owners were using rigged scales in order to make more money off of their products. And simply put, they were all allowing covetousness to keep them from cultivating a Christ-like character. 
In similar fashion, there are many Christians in the church today who are allowing their covetous cravings for worldly wealth to keep them from cultivating Christian character. For example, uh, there are Christians who are uh, in, in, in the world of marketing and, and, and you know, their business is in sales and, and, and they don't mind lying in order to make the sale. They see no problem with, with, with deceiving people if it means making a sale. And then there are the Christians who don't mind lying about their competition. They don't mind uh, running the, the, the name of their competition through the mud in order to acquire more cl- clients for themselves. And, and there are Christian politicians who stand upon a platform of faith and family only to then engage in deep state politics with those who have no problem deceiving those that they represent. And, and don't get me started on pastors because there are so many pastors who have no problem preaching uh, deceptive and watered down doctrine so that they can fill the pews with more people who are happy to show up and hear beautiful lies. Sadly, these are all examples of the way in which a lack of contentment will keep a believer from cultivating Christian character as they engage in business practices that are based on nothing more than a covetous desire for worldly wealth. And while it's true that covetousness will cause Christians to make many deceptive business decisions, Covetousness will also cause the Christian to stray from the faith. And in order to prove my point, we should consider something that Paul wrote in his first letter to Timothy. Uh, with this as the focus, if you would, let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we find Paul. He's encouraging Timothy to become a content Christian. And as you make your way to the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy, we should take a moment to realize that we all struggle to be content. It's true. We all struggle to be content, and one reason why is due to the fact that we live in a consumer-driven society which is constantly presenting us with wonderful things that we all want. Uh, Just to give you one example of this, uh, Apple has released 24 different iPhones in the last 12 years. Why? Why so many phones in such a short amount of time? Well, because they want you to want their phone. Every year, car companies are offering us the next latest and greatest upgrades, and and they spend millions of dollars on ads that are designed to convince us that we simply can't live without their disposable status symbol. You know, I've got a truck that works great. Nothing wrong with it. Praise the Lord. And then the Tesla truck came out. And I was like, oh, I want that. And so I've been praying for it. And, And we'll see. We'll see what God does. I mean... If God wants to give me a Tesla truck, then glory be to God. If not, I need to be content with the truck I have. It's fine. It's perfect. Truth be told, I'm sure that most of us struggle with these consumer-based cravings which lead us to work more and more hours so that we can make more and more money so that we can buy more and more stuff, all the stuff that we really, really want. All that stuff that we're only going to be disappointed with in a year. Why in a year? Well, because that's when the new stuff comes out. Meanwhile, our spiritual walk with the Lord is beginning to suffer, and the reason why is because the covetous consumer has no time for a God who simply encourages us to be content with daily bread. Now, if this sounds like something you struggle with, then I encourage you to consider the encouragement that Paul presented here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 6, here Paul declares, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich 
fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here in these verses we find Paul, he's helping Timothy to understand that it's better to be a content Christian who is living a meager life as they serve the Lord than to become a backslidden believer who's wasting their lives pursuing worldly wealth. And the reason why is due to the fact that the covetous Christian, well, the covetous Christian will always end up straying from the faith until they find themselves filled with so much sorrow that they don't even know how they ended up there. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son who asked his father to go ahead and give him his inheritance. It's as if he went to his dad and said, Dad, I just wish you were dead. Can I have your money? And his father gave him the money. And he took that money and he went out and he wasted it on prodigal living and he, and he did so until the day he found himself completely destitute of daily provisions. And he was eating the slop that was fed to the pigs because he couldn't afford to buy his own food. Thankfully for him, he realized that it would be better for him to return to his father's house. And his father was happy to receive him once he decided to return home. And while this is certainly a wonderful picture of our father's gracious love for us, this is also a picture of the pitfalls experienced by the covetous Christian who chooses to turn away from the father in order to go and pursue the wealth of this world so that they can live the, the sort of life that they think is going to bring them all the joy that they want. Please trust me when I tell you that the love of money will always cause us to wander away from the will of the Lord. I'm not saying money is bad. I'm saying the love of money, covetousness, a lack of contentment, this will cause us to wander away from the will of the Lord. And listen, those who allow greed to lead them astray will not only find sorrow at the end of that evil road, they will also find themselves so far lost that they don't even know how to get back. That being the case, we would all do well to learn how to be content with what we have because godliness with contentment is great gain. You want great gain? Then become a godly Christian who learns how to be content with the daily provisions of the Lord. In order to further grasp the importance of contentment, we should consider something that Peter wrote in his second epistle. With this as the focus, if you would, let's turn in our Bibles now to 2 Peter chapter 2. Here we find the Apostle Peter. He's encouraging his audience to understand yet another pitfall of covetousness. And as you make your way to the second chapter of 2 Peter, I want to take a moment to remind you that those who desire to be rich are not only tempted to sin, but they are oftentimes caught in the snare of those scammers who encourage us to come and join their pyramid schemes. I mean, multi-level marketing schemes. I mean, pyramid schemes. You, you call it what you want. Now, I'm no financial advisor, but I'm smart enough to know that if a business opportunity sounds too good to be true, it probably is, sit at home and make $10,000 a day. Yeah, right. Not going to happen. Sad to say that many Christians have gone bankrupt as they hand their money over uh, to some of these scammers because they are convinced that, well, if I just buy these products, then I can turn around and, and, and get rich on them. 
Many Christians have gone bankrupt investing in popular MLM opportunities which uh, promise us to, uh, that we can make millions just working from home and, 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 and then it never really pans out, does it? The only people getting rich are the people that we're sending the money to. It's true that the world is filled with secular scammers who are happy to use your greed against you. And what's even worse is that the church is also filled with spiritual charlatans who will make merchandise of every greedy believer. They will make merchandise of those who are happy to give their money to those, those televangelists who promise them a hundredfold increase if they simply plant their seeds of faith. Please trust me when I tell you that these word faith preachers are only exploiting our covetous desires with deceptive doctrines. And it's sad to say that covetous Christians are easily led astray by these deceivers. What's that, preacher so-and-so? I can send you $5 and get 500 back? That's a promise in the Bible? People get sucked right into it. And these people go broke while the televangelist is flying around in their own personal jet. Let's consider how Peter puts this here in 2 Peter chapter 2. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 1. Here the apostle declares there were false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And notice by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Christian, listen. The world is not only filled with secular scammers who are looking for gullible people to invest in their Ponzi schemes, but there are leaders in the church who are exploiting us because of their covetousness. But how do they go about this? By their covetousness, they turn around and exploit your covetousness. And they dupe gullible disciples into believing that the Lord's ready to give us more money if we would simply give our money to their ministry. I like the way that the scholars who created the King James Version rendered the beginning of verse 3. Here's how they put it. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. That's right, they make merchandise of you. The scholars who gave us the New Living Translation rendered the original Greek in this way. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. In other words, the teacher that is greedy for gain isn't concerned about you. They're not concerned about helping you cultivate Christian character. No, instead they're only concerned about your money. They're only concerned about how they can get you to give up your wallet. It's for this reason that Paul encouraged us to withdraw ourselves from every Christian leader who sees godliness as a means of gain. You see, the leader who is willing to make up clever lies in order to get a hold of your money, they, they aren't really interested in helping you cultivate that Christian character. No, instead, they're, they're willing to lead you further down the path of covetousness so that they can continue to keep their hands in your wallet. They're like the commercial. They're always saying, what's in your wallet? That's what they want to know. 
They, want to, they don't want to know how your walk is. They, they don't want to make sure that, that you're you know, getting closer to the Lord. or they don't, they don't really care what's going on in your life. They don't, they don't really care that, that you yourself are almost bankrupt and, and having a hard time making it from, from month to month. No, they just want to convince you to give up what little money you have so that they can continue buying planes and, and, and cars and houses. Therefore, Paul tells us to withdraw ourselves from every spiritual leader who treats godliness as nothing more than a means of their own personal gain. Not only that, but we should also make sure that we're becoming believers who learn how to be content. So, so you know, it's one thing to, to you know, separate ourselves from those who are covetous, but we must then turn around and learn how to become Christians who are content. And with this as the goal, let's consider the encouragement that Paul presented to the Christians at the church in Philippi. And so if you will, let's turn in our Bibles now to Philippians chapter four. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of Philippians, I want to take a moment to point out that covetousness will keep us from cultivating Christian character. And one reason why is due to the fact that covetous Christians end up being controlled by their anxieties. Covetous Christians are controlled by their anxieties. There's things that they want, they're not content, but they're not really sure if they're going to get what they want, and so they get anxious about it. In contrast to this, the content Christian will be able to cultivate character, Christian character, and the reason why is because the content Christian realizes that we serve a God who will always supply our every need, and therefore there's nothing to be anxious about. Let's consider how Paul puts it here in the fourth chapter of Philippians. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 6. Here, Paul declares, be anxious for some things. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Here in these verses we find Paul encouraging the Christians there at the church in Philippi to set aside their anxieties by spending time presenting the Lord with their prayer requests and and then uh, rather than focusing our attention on the things that we're anxious about, Paul instructs his audience to focus on the things that are true, noble, just, pure, and lovely. Instead of focusing on the things that we want and and instead of becoming anxious because we're not really sure if we're going to get them, Paul encouraged every Christian to meditate on those things that are good, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Simply put, we need to stop worrying about everything that causes us to stress out with anxiety and instead we need to discipline our minds by, by focusing on all the promises that the Lord has made to those who trust in Jesus. Not only that, but Paul also encouraged us to, to follow his example, which includes an emotional state of contentment, which can only be achieved by those who are walking by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's consider how Paul puts it here in Philippians chapter 4. Let's pick up there at verse 9, where Paul goes on to declare, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. 
Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I realize that this last verse is usually used by the Christian athlete who wants Jesus to help them win the competition. And that's clearly what Paul meant there, right? It's all about athletics, right? No. When we consider the context of this verse, it's clear to me that Paul is actually helping his audience to understand that those who trust in Jesus will receive the strength that we need so that we can become content Christians regardless of the circumstances. And you better believe that we need strength from the Lord Jesus Christ to be content when it looks like we have nothing. It's possible that you've become discontent with a difficult situation, and if so, then the chances are you're struggling to be content with your circumstances. And if this describes how you're feeling tonight, I would remind you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Can you in your flesh be content with an uncomfortable situation? Can you, in, in your flesh, be content with a situation where you, know, you, you feel like you're not going to be able to pay the bills tomorrow? Can you be content in that situation? No, not in your flesh. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and this includes the strength to be content in the midst of a tough trial. It includes the strength to say no to our anxieties and yes to simply resting in the promises of Jesus. Listen, learning to be content in the midst of a tough trial is one surefire way for us to cultivate Christian character. And in order to prove my point, I would simply remind you of, of something the Lord Jesus said when he taught his disciples to pray. It's in Matthew chapter 6 where our Savior declares in this manner, uh, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day, not give us today bread for tomorrow. No. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say pray that God gives you enough money for retirement. It's not what he said. He says, give us this day our daily bread, not give me more than I need so that I can stop praying for provisions tomorrow. I like the way that Agur put it in Proverbs chapter 30. It's there where he declares, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Don't give me so much that I forget to pray. But don't give me so little that I do something sinful. Christian, listen, when we have more than enough, we tend to stop seeking the daily provisions of the Lord. It's true. I've seen it time and time again. 
Christian starts praying that God provides, and so God starts providing, and next thing you know, they're no longer praying for provision. They're no longer seeking the Lord every day. Why? Because they got comfortable. And then they wanted more, then they got covetous. Next thing you know, rather than seeking the Lord, they're seeking more wealth. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. We would do well to remember that the Lord wants us to be content with daily bread. And the reason why is because in this way, we continue to rely upon him for everything. I like the way that King David put it when he referred to the Lord as the good shepherd who is ready to provide us with everything that we need. It's in the 23rd Psalm where David declares, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I like the way the scholars who gave us the New Living Translation render the words of David. They put it like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The scholars who created the New English Translation render the words of David in this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now think about that for a moment. If the Lord is your shepherd, then you can rest assured that he's going to provide for every need because that's what a good shepherd does. At the same time, though, the person who lacks the daily provision that we need would do well to ask, is the Lord my shepherd? Because if the Lord is your shepherd, then he's going to provide you with everything you need every day. And if you don't have everything that you need every day, then doesn't that seem to suggest the Lord might not be your shepherd? If the Lord is truly your shepherd, then you can be content in knowing that he's going to provide you with everything that we need as he leads us into green pastures and beside the still waters. With that being the case, we would all do well to embrace the instructions that Jesus presented in the Sermon on the Mount. And with this as the focus, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter six. And as you make your way to the sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel account, I wanna take a moment to remind you that the, con- uh, the, 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 the content Christian is no longer anxious about the future. And the reason why is because the content Christian has complete faith in the promise that the Lord Jesus presented here in the sermon that, that, that he proclaimed while he was standing there on the, on the Mount of Beatitudes. With this as the focus, let's turn our attention here to Matthew chapter six where we find Jesus in the middle of this famous message. If you would look with me beginning at verse uh, 24. Here Jesus declares, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or, 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 or money, basically. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, if if we were to sum all of this up simply, Jesus is basically saying that those who put the Lord first in their lives can also rejoice in knowing that our Heavenly Father will provide us with everything that we need. So if you don't have the provision for everything you need, then you have to also ask, am I putting the Lord first in my life? We know that the Lord is able to provide us with everything that we need. He's able to provide us with a job. He's able to provide us with the paycheck that'll pay the bills. He's able to provide us with manna from heaven if, if he so chooses. He's able to provide us with everything that we need. And yet we have to understand that it's the content Christian who puts him first who then receives the daily bread that we need. With that being the case, I encourage every Christian, let's set aside the greedy desire for more and let's exchange our covetousness with contentment. And as we learn how to be content with the perfect provision of the Lord, he will then help us to become those believers who are cultivating Christian character. Let's pray.